Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 7. Today is Thursday, March the 8th. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice, as well as the Voice First Roundtable, two of our shows on Voice First FM, is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is a St. Louis-based company that creates Alexa skills for businesses to be more productive and efficient. They just recently joined the Capital Innovators Startup Accelerator Program, which is based there in St. Louis. It's a top 10 startup accelerator, along with Y Combinator, Techstars, and some others. Bob Stolzberg, who is a friend of the program, a friend of Voice, of Voice First FM, and a friend of voice technology in general, says he believes joining this accelerator will enable Voice XP to push the voice industry further because of the resources and connections the program provides. If you're looking to have an Alexa skill built for your company, call up Bob Stolzberg, look him up on LinkedIn, look him up on Twitter, look up Voice XP at voicexp.com, talk to them, you'll be glad that you did. We've got a fantastic panel today. We've got Cheryl Platts joining us. Cheryl, say hello. Hello, everybody. Cheryl, thank you very much for joining us. So you just got a promotion, apparently. You are now principal designer at Microsoft. That's phenomenal. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, So uh, at Microsoft right now, I'm actually the lead of a team called the Admin Experience Team in cloud and enterprise. And uh, one of the things that excites me about this team is it's more focused on user scenarios than particular products. So we're crossing a lot of products. But uh, this is actually a departure from the last uh, few years of my career where I was focusing almost exclusively on natural user interfaces and natural language uh, interfaces like Alexa and Cortana and Windows Automotive. Uh, so I spent that, that's what I'm better known for is my work as the first designer on the Echo Look, as the designer for Echo Notifications on Alexa, um, and uh, some skills on my own time. And I, in my free time, I run a cons- essentially a design education firm called IdeaPlatz, uh, which allows me to visit companies and conferences with workshops about voice UI technique and deliverables, uh, delivering talks about the future of voice UI. Uh, so it's a subject I'm very passionate about, and I'm very glad to be here today. We appreciate you being here today. And for anybody who's listening to this who wants information about Idea Plats and the type of design instruction that Cheryl provides and the workshop she does and so on, that link is included on the show page. We will include that in the show notes as well. Cheryl, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. We also have Mark Webster with us. Mark, say Hello. Hello. Mark, uh, pleased to have you back. Thank you for joining us and giving us some of your time. Mark, you are CEO and founder of SaySpring. Tell us what SaySpring does. Sure. SaySpring is a design and prototyping platform for voice interfaces. Uh, We integrate with Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. And the idea is sort of how do we give the creative community access to the medium of voice so that we can build delightful conversational experiences uh, without needing to code before we actually put in the time and effort to develop these things. Uh, you know, anyone who's used uh, a bunch of the skills that exist on Alexa knows that uh, they could be a lot better. And so we're bringing the design community into the fold to, to sort of help voice live up to its promise. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us, Mark. I'm very grateful to have you as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. With that, we'll get to the news. And our first story this week is a 
It's actually not a story at all for this week. It was a story last week where The Verge published a review of the Amazon Echo Dot and the Google Home Mini. And this review was written by a fourth grader named Benicio. And it caught our attention. And it caught a lot of people's attention. And it was great. Uh, The panel last week really liked it. And it sparked an entire conversation about voice technology and children that was interesting. We have got a cameo appearance by Benicio. I had the chance to interview him and talk to him one-on-one about what he thought about Alexa, what he thought about Google Home and Google Assistant. You know, we talk all the time about children growing up in this voice-first era and uh, being native to the technology. So it was a fascinating interview. Uh, We will go ahead and play that now and then come back into the show. Benicio, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Congratulations on your review. It was a great review. Thank you. So you've got a history of writing reviews. What got you started writing uh, reviews for technology? I mean, my mom works for The Verge. So, like, I wanted to, like, write a little bit um, about different things that are, like, during to the technology. Like, the video game system was my first one. And it was a lot of fun. So that got a sense. It was really fun. I, it got me into doing a lot of them. Because it's like, you know, like all of them are really interesting to me. That's awesome. So I read your review of the Switch. Uh, I have a Switch. I'm a lifelong gamer. I really liked your review of that. Um, so well done. Uh, we'll get into the, uh, I got a couple questions for you about your review, okay, of the uh, Echo Dot and the Google Home Mini. Okay. You cool, with, you cool with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. So what gave you the idea to review the Echo Dot and the Google Home Mini? Is it something, is, do you have them at home and you've seen them and you wanted to do a review? You saw someone else had them, you saw them on TV. What gave you the idea? Well, I've been seeing a lot of commercials I'd like to have them, but my mom and dad have to work a lot. But the verge suggested it to me. So, like, it wasn't something that, like, it wasn't like the switch, like, something I chose to do. It's something that, like, I was suggested to do. Cool. Very very cool. Um, So I want to ask you, um, this week, you might have seen it or you might not have, a lot of Echo devices, you know, like the Echo Dot that you did the review for, a lot of devices that have Alexa on them have just started laughing randomly. You're sitting there quietly in a room. They just start laughing. Have you heard about this? No. So what do you think you would do if you were just sitting in your room doing your homework or, um, you know, going to sleep, for example, and you just hear, and you hear Alexa all of a sudden just start laughing, would you, would that bother you or would you just think it's sort of weird or you wouldn't care that much? I mean, I think that would be funny because, I mean, they used to be pretty basic on like the commercials, they seem pretty basic, but now they're getting more sophisticated and like more intelligent with um, the things that they're doing. 
because like I started a conversation between Google Home Mini and Alexa before. I read that. So like, yeah, because they're they're starting to get like more like you know things to do. No, that's true. So it wouldn't bother you that much if you just heard it laughing. You just say whatever and think nothing of it. That's in, that's interesting. Um, I mean, oh, go ahead. Um, like it. It's kind of like like when I go to school, just a person starts laughing because they're whispering someone. So it's not that big of a problem to me. Okay. Like if it just starts laughing, that would be like, I wouldn't really care. But it, inside me, that would be like kind of funny because it would just start laughing out of nowhere. No, that's good to know. That's good to know. So there was a report that came out this week that, 20%, one out of every five adults in the United States has got a smart speaker. Um, and it was a very interesting report. My, my question for you, how many kids that are friends of yours or kids at school, classmates, how many of them do you know that have a smart speaker? Uh, that's, I mean, I don't really know any, but okay. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like in my school and it's like a big community around like 600 people. So like, I'm sure there's probably like a big group of like people that have Alexa, um, the Echo Dot and Google Home Mini, but it's not their main thing to talk about. Cause like okay. when I had them, it, it wasn't like my number one conversation to have. Cause I mean, you know, like, you want to talk about other stuff. And I mean, Alexa is an advantage that you have, but you don't want to really talk about it to other people who don't have that advantage. I, I understand. That's interesting. That, that line of thinking actually came up on our podcast today. Exactly what you're talking about. Um, perfect. I've got a question for, from Twitter for you. Okay. One of our listeners has asked you a question in your review you say that talking to and listening to Alexa is more comforting to me than Google is. So can you explain a little bit why you felt that way and what, um, what made you feel that way? Uh, give me a little more information on that. Well, it's kind of more comforting to me because like you could say like, if, like if you're not like in the best mood that you could be in, you you could just say, Alexa, stop, and Alexa would stop talking and just be quiet or continue whatever it was doing, like playing jazz. But Google, sometimes it doesn't hear you, and it just goes on and on and on, and you could get really annoyed. And okay. it could, like, you know, get you really agitated. Is there anything about Alexa's voice that you liked better, or, or did you just sort of think it's the same sort of voice as Google Assistant, no real difference? I mean, there's definitely a difference in the voice, but they're both home assistants, like Google, Alexa, Siri. They're, they're all like the things that talk to you and answer questions, but not all questions. But like if, you know, the the voice isn't really different. Okay, so they're different, but you don't. It's that's not that big a deal. You just like Alexa because it worked a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, they both work. It's just the voice is different 
but in the same way, it's the same. Like, if, like, so if one of them is talking, like, they have different voices, like a person talking. Like, I have a different voice than you, mm-hmm. but we're, ha- we're having a conversation. Sure. So, like, it's a different voice, but you're both, like, you, you understand both of them. It's just different because it's, like, a different personality or a different machine. I get that. No, that's great. Um, the When you wrote the review, and it's been all over the internet, you did a fantastic job. Some of your, do your classmates know that you wrote the review or did you, have you told them that you wrote the review about the Echo Dot and the Google Home Mini? Well, I'm sure there's some people that know about it because like when I reviewed the Tesla Model X mm-hmm. like six months ago, my friend was in it and all of my like friends knew about it because Shrey, that's now it's his name, he like was talking to people and I was talking to people then too, because it was like a new thing. I was really excited about it, but now it's really become like the same, like not big of a deal. If I finish review and I accomplished it great. Cause I mean, people you know, know that's just something that you do. Yeah, yeah. I get it. So uh, my last question for you is that um, uh, <clears throat> when you gr- when you grow up, you're you're using the computer. You're you've got access to technology. Do you think that for the foreseeable future, for growing up and going to high school, going to college, that you're going to interact with computers with your voice? Uh, do you think that's something that you're going to do more of? Um, is that something you're excited about? I mean. I think the technology is going to get more sophisticated, like, like in a, in like a thousand, no, not a thousand, like in a couple, like a hundred, maybe 200, maybe 300, there are going to be like machines that you attach to your head and they can read your thoughts mm. and you don't have to talk about them. That would be crazy. I probably, I, I probably won't be alive for that era, but like if I would probably keep talking to them, but like on the computer it's just I like it a little bit more because like I don't have to talk about it and let them know like let the computer know I could just type it out and I mean I probably will still use it when I'm in like high school and college because like you don't have to like go on safari and like ask them you could just say hey Alexa what's 70 times 871 you know what I mean Sure. Um, no, that's great. So Benicio, I appreciate your time. I do have one last question for you since you're a baseball fan, who is going to win the world series? I have I mean, to know. I can't really tell right now, but there's, there's a lot of good teams that have like, haven't been so good. Like the Yankees, I have a feeling. Um, Yankee, Yankees are pretty good. I mean, yeah, they are doing really good. But Houston's still really strong for their momentum. I mean, Houston's going to make it to the playoffs. The Mets, I would put my money on them. Okay. Probably. I mean, the Yankees. Like, there's a lot of teams from the last year, but there are some new teams coming up because they have rookies. So I would go with, I mean, Ally hasn't been doing so good anymore. Like, the Dodgers – 
So I'm a big Seattle Mariners fan. So I grew up in the South. We didn't have a baseball team where I grew up in Birmingham. So I, I decided to follow Seattle Mariners. Are the Seattle Mariners going to have a good year? I need to know. I haven't really followed them. I mean, okay. I'll, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, I think they're not going to like finish in like fourth or fifth place. They're probably going to be up in third and second. They might be a wild card team this year. All right. I'll, t- I'll settle for that. I'll settle for that. Benicio, thank you for joining me. This was great. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Moving on to story number two from Vanity Fair. Yes, Amazon's Alexa is laughing at you. So there's been a lot of news this week. I just saw it on NBC News, uh, NBC Nightly News last night. They did a story on it about how Amazon's Alexa has been bursting into laughter. Now, I haven't had this done in my house, at least that I've heard, despite having several Alexa devices around. But this is creeping people out. This is weird. Um, Amazon gave some sort of uh, statement saying they were aware of the problem and they're working to fix it, but that was about it. Cheryl, I want to start with you. Yeah. I want to start with you on this. Um, what is up with this? You know, you have worked for Amazon. Do you think this is a big deal in the arc of voice first evolution is this just a blip on the radar is this something that actually will set things back a bit also tell me what you think uh is going on internally at amazon as they try to get this thing sorted out uh yeah so as i mentioned before i spent two years at amazon one of those on devices like the echo look and one of those years on the a central team of voice designers who worked on alexa and this when I heard about this, I mean, the first time you hear the the laughter sound, it it is, it's interesting and creepy because it's clearly like an MP3. It's not text to speech, it, which is most of what Alexa does, and it's also very peculiar as a story since it's a, essentially a proactive notification. And I know how difficult that is to do on Alexa because that was a feature I was working to design for a year or two. So I'm I'm very curious about how this was how this became possible because the framework doesn't really work like that. But I think from a technology perspective, this is a blip. But if they don't get it under control, I do think there there may be an unintended consequence in uh, sort of public perception. Because even though I, I, you know, I know how I think the system works, having worked there, I've had friends coming out of the woodwork uh, talking to me about how unsettled this story makes them. And when you dig into the sort of broader set of articles, some of the videos about this phenomenon are clearly faked. You know, they, 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 the audio levels don't match. It's, it, it's sort of subbed on a video of Alexa speaking and lighting up the lights with some other prompt. But that doesn't necessarily undo the fear that a story like this causes and like the, the sort of the, the fracture in trust. So I'm hoping they get it con- under control quickly. But the other tough part is it's non-deterministic. So how are they going to prove they got it dealt with? Uh, it's, it's a tough, this is a, a fascinating and challenging problem that kind of gets to perception. I'm sure that uh, the, oh, you, you asked what I think is going on over at Amazon. I imagine there is a very targeted team of folks. They're probably keeping this pretty a small group of folks investigating rather than trying to mobilize the whole org. You know, they're probably working with their beta participants who, with whom they have a little greater data sharing agreement so they can track down something like this. Because it's tough. You can't just search for a prompt in logs or anything like that because it it's, happens randomly according to the stories. It's uh, a... Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to laugh because otherwise it's just a little bit awkward. Yeah, well, and, and you bring up a very interesting idea, which I had not thought about even remotely, which is that someone would be someone would be faking videos of it and sort of superimposing that audio. And then that creates a scenario where you really can never really know if it's ever going to do that again. And uh, that's, it kind of blows my mind because you're exactly right. Like, I guess you could take Amazon's word that they fixed it, but all someone has to do is create some new video that just throws that audio on top of, <laughs> yeah. on top of it and we're back at the same place. That's interesting. I'm uh, hoping that Amazon shares the sort of root cause analysis if they do get to the bottom of it, because that might help allay some of that concern. If they tell us that it happened every time there was an odd numbered minute on an even numbered day, you're like, okay, well, I'll just look for those conditions and see if it happens again. But without that transparency, it, it'll be tough to like feel con- for the folks who, for, in whom this inspires some paranoia, it's going to take more than just we fixed it uh, to get back to a level of comfort. Interesting. Completely agree. Mark, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I love everything about this story. Um, I, I am, I'm going to go up there and consider myself an, an Alexa laugh denier. I find it really hard to believe that it's just laughing without hearing some other audio that it's reacting to. I mean, Alexa is essentially just, you know, to, to Cheryl's point, besides notifications, it's really just a request response service. And so my guess is it's hearing something and that is making it laugh. I had read an article last night. I don't know how true it is that if you had said Alexa laugh, that's what's causing the laugh and that they are going to change it to Alexa. Can you laugh so that it's less likely to sort of false trigger? I think anybody that has uh, used an Alexa has had the experience of, of her hearing something and sort of a false triggering against it. Um, but what I love about this is it's sort of the fact that it has exploded all over the news in the last 24 hours from one or two really bad videos on Twitter is just sort of highlights how voice assistants have captured everybody's imagination, right? And if it was sort of anything but a laugh, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But the fact that it's sort of creepy and there's this little uncanny valley of, oh, you know, a, a robot talking to you and laughing at you. Uh, I think there's, you know, to me, it's, it's a lot of fun to sort of see how people have reacted to it. Uh, I think from a technology perspective, it's some minor issue that will get fixed and won't be a big deal. Uh, and Amazon will likely come forward and, and sort of share that. But there was an article in the New York Times last week sort of mentioning the same thing of Alexa had started to just yell for no reason. And again, I sort of find that hard to believe, but uh, I love how, you know, people have sort of infused so much personality into Alexa and then sort of looking at the emotional response that that it drives out of people when things like that happen. I, I think from a product perspective, it's super interesting. I wonder when it will be okay for a synthetic sort of assistant to laugh, if if ever. It, it's it's a really, you mentioned the emotional impact and, and just, we know, we think we know that these devices aren't thinking and it seems like we connect the, the concept of laughter deeply with that sort of thought and observation. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it is it's fascinating how people are reacting. Yeah, it really, it made me think last night, I was thinking a lot about this. And so Alexa and, and Mike, Microsoft with Cortana and Siri even have have really personified their voice assistant. And Google has taken this different approach around calling it Google Assistant. You're asking Google for something. And I would be really 
interested in Cheryl, maybe you kind of know the answer to some of this stuff, but you know, we hear all these stories about how people have proposed to Alexa multiple times. Uh, I wonder if anybody proposes to Google, like do people personify that personality in the same way? I would love to see like what the data was in how people treat the voice assistant when you personify it versus when you don't. Yeah, that's, uh, and not having been on the inside at Google, I can't really say if the, you know, quantitatively that there's a difference, but I think you, both you and I have probably seen this in our circle of, of associates and friends that uh, they, people don't use pronouns, gendered pronouns with a Google Assistant, which is just sort of telling about where people file these personalities in their head, uh, the, the sort of off-the-cuff ways people talk about the assistants. So I agree with you that there's a fundamental difference uh, in the way people are approaching the Cortanas and Amazons, uh, Alexas of the world, as opposed to the Google Assistants. I'm curious if Google Assistant laughed, would that be as creepy? more creepy, less creepy, because there is no personification there. People might think it's less creepy and be more willing to write it off as a bug. I sat there and thought, if I had heard this in my house, what would I have done? And the answer is probably wondered what in the world is going on and then just gone on, gone on about my day. I don't think I would have gone to the extreme of unplugging devices or muting them all or, or some of the stuff that I, I've read about. I think it's really easy to forget that, you know, people are super paranoid about all sorts of things. And it's it's sort of a miracle in my mind that we've got the adoption of smart speakers that we have and the momentum of everything that we have. And I, I have to be honest, I attribute a lot of that to Amazon and the fact that Amazon, the underlying brand of Amazon is a trustworthy organization that looks out for is a very customer centric organization um, where you know they're known for customer service they're known for looking out for the customer to the point where almost they're hostile to other companies uh, just because they're trying to lower price and things like that because it's a company with that background that has a device laughing in your house uh, unsolicited uh, that may signal listening I think uh, this is one of those things that they sort of get a pass for you know if it was Google, um, imagine if this were Facebook, you know, you've got a Facebook device that you, for one, for some reason have put in your house and it, it starts laughing how we perceive sort of the human nature of the device that's in play, but also uh, the underlying brand uh, has a lot to do with it. Because I can tell you one thing, if a, if a Facebook device has got this story going on, I am thinking seriously, am I going to get this thing the hell out of here? Or am I going to, you know, roll with it uh, to a much greater degree than this? What's interesting is the Alexa app lets you go in and see what request it heard and what it responded with. And sort of all of these stories never include anybody going in there and checking to see what it was. And it was also making me think about how there's sort of a design responsibility to make sure that users understand what's going on and sort of also keeping in the right medium, right? So when I, uh, you know, when, when you send an email marketing newsletter, you have to put in the bottom how you got subscribed to this newsletter, right? And the idea of like baking into these platforms, like why did you say that, right? Like don't make me go into the app and see what you heard, but just if at any point you ask an assistant, why did you say that? And then it just sort of explains what just happened. I think that would, for a certain segment of user, like give a better understanding of how these things work and then also give 
a good signal back to all of these companies to see that users were confused at this, these different points. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic idea, Mark, and a fantastic concept. And it illustrates the importance of context and conversation, which is continues to be one of the biggest challenges in voice design is like, as soon as a task is completed, do you remember that the task ever happened? Is there a way that the customer can reference that in the past? And right now, a lot of the voice assistance, voice assistance systems really have amnesia. And, you know, it would be great. I love just as a voice designer, I imagine you and I would both <laughs> go back and forth about that kind of thing with our system. Like, why did you say that? Or what, have you always been saying things that way? That'd be, those would be fun conversations to have. But it's especially good. important when, as these devices do move towards proactivity, because it's a little less scary when you know you just asked something. But this, because it's been a pretty slow rollout of the Alexa notifications and they pretty much only have the package notifications, there, there really hasn't been too much of an interruption component to those experiences yet, but it's coming and it just happens that this strange sort of laugh bug beat some of those notifications to the punch. But that core mechanic Mark was talking about, I think, is going to be really important as we move towards a more proactive assistant sort of model. Cool. Great analysis all the way around. We will roll on to story number three, which is that Google has a new tagline, apparently, for Google Assistant, make Google do it. And they've rolled out this ad campaign. If you click the link in the news stories on thisweekinvoice.com, you can see several of the videos. There's one with Kevin Durant and one with John Legend and, and uh, Chrissy Teigen and uh, some different celebrities that they've got involved with this thing. I link to this. I think that this um, is super important because it, I, my, and I'm interested to hear you know what y'all think about uh, whether or not you agree with me that this may be some sort of inflection point for Google Assistant. You know, over the course of 2017, a lot of the stories that we covered on This Week in Voice and just the sort of the narrative is that Google's catching up. You know, Amazon's out in front. Google's catching up, trying to catch up, and you know they're they're treading water and they're they're trying to do some things, uh, but they're just playing from behind. Now, it's sort of my perception, and I don't think I'm alone, uh, but y'all can tell me if you if you disagree that we had CES at the beginning of the year, and the narrative there, um, other than you know the venue flooding and some other stuff, was that Google was advertising Google Assistant everywhere everywhere every billboard they could find every magazine every you know bus stop everything around the venue and in the venue they were advertising google assistant everywhere and really uh you know in some ways uh you know they i guess they outspent alexa and they got a lot of mileage from that narrative now here we are just a couple months later google clearly coming up with this new tagline and appearing to want to market uh, a superior AI than Alexa and using that as their vector to try to take market share and eventually take the lead in this, in this, in this game. So Mark, I want to start with you. Do you agree with my assessment or do you see this differently? And do you see this as a means to an end of Google taking a more superior marketplace position? Yeah, I think it's interesting um, looking, you know, for, for the last two years, let's say, I, I've always thought that Google's branding around their assistant 
was bad in the sense that it wasn't personified. And I find myself writing all the time, Alexa, comma, Cortana, comma, and Google Assistant, the service behind Google Home, right? But it kind of feels like we're getting, I do think this is an inflection point, and it feels like we're getting to a point where people are going to realize that that voice assistant is tied into Google services and sort of help people bridge that gap of this is not some independent entity and it is tied into the world of Google and all the other services and Gmail, everything out calendar that you might use from Google. Uh, and what I think that they absolutely nailed in this ad campaign, um, besides adding celebrities and, and sort of you know, tapping into pop culture, which I think is smart, um, but the one thing they nailed is that all of the commercials basically are showing the inner dialogue of everybody throughout the commercial and no one's actually speaking. And I think that the idea of you know, the, the frictionless nature of a voice interface and being able to use it as sort of just like that next extension past thought, I think they kind of nail here. Um, everybody, everybody always, always asks me like, what is the killer app of voice? You know, like Uber couldn't have existed before mobile, you know, Instagram couldn't have existed before we all had a camera on our smartphone. Like what's the thing that voice will, will be the killer. We'll have the killer app for. And I think that the killer app for voice is convenience. I think it will just tie us into everything else we use. And I feel like this ad campaign really gets at that in a really smart and clever way. Well, I, I think I'm glad you brought this up. I when and it was nice to see the article that brought all these pieces together. And I noticed the uptick in their spend also during the Olympics. There were just so many ads for Google Assistant during the Olympics. And I think what's interesting for me looking at the videos is it's a very bold promise. It's I've always said when, when I was talking about the differences between the devices today, Google Assistant's strength their its strengths are Q and A definitely better Q and A than Alexa much more succinct much more accurate uh, and also productivity with respect to the Google ecosystem but when you say make Google do it. Like the, the action implied by the word do is very broad. Like we don't consider conversational tasks necessarily doing something. So it does go a lot broader than the voice interaction. I think the promise in this, this ad campaign, and I don't know how that'll play out over time. I think, and I also think I kind of agreed with one of the points I believe that was in the article that it's interesting that they're using celebrities. It's definitely differentiating themselves, but it's also creating this sort of other, like maybe Google's for affluent people or for people who have lives that I don't or are busier than I am. It's interesting to see how, because the personification of a dev device helps us connect with it on a human level. And celebrities are hard to really connect with. We view them as an other that are fascinating to watch. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what effect this has on how people perceive it. I think Mark had some great points and, you know, and about, it's a really great point that Mark made about how it's more about the dialogue between the people than it is about the dialogue with the device. That's really interesting because as a designer, we kind of want our interface to be invisible and in a way in these ads it is. But I, it's, it's, this almost feels like the opposite of personification. It's like this now a Google assistant is this abstract concept that does things for me in the background. And I don't necessarily talk to it terribly much, but when I do, it gets it right. Uh, I think it's a solid play from trying to differentiate themselves from Alexa and well, and Cortana, but Alexa is really the major player there. Yeah. It's a great point about whether or not 
they're getting out ahead of themselves, right? To, to, to Bradley, what you were just speaking about earlier, you know, I think one of the things that Amazon got right with Alexa is gave us a promise of this voice assistant that can do like four things really well initially, and we were all delighted by it. We all got Siri in 2011, and we're sort of told Siri could do anything, and that wasn't really true, and it just led to a lot of disappointing experiences. And for a guy who's devoting his life to voice interfaces, I never use Siri. And so it's interesting to think about, like, is, is Google now sort of going to get ahead of itself and set themselves up in a way to disappoint users in a way that I think Alexa has, has managed uh, much more effectively? I also don't use Siri, so we're in the same boat there. I don't know what that says about that platform. There are rumors that there is someone who uses Siri out in the wild somewhere, but they're like a unicorn, you know, they're like the monster. (laughs) Brilliant commentary. Uh, But Cheryl, you touched on exactly what I thought when I looked at this. And I just, from a very personal standpoint, I I looked at the ad campaign and I thought make Google do what, you know, like, uh, you're, you're right. You, now you have my attention. You've got my curiosity now because I'm asking make Google do what make Google make my life a lot easier with email. I'm down with that. Uh, desperately need that. Make Google handle all of, uh, our, meetings and calendar invites and all the back-end stuff that takes a bunch of time. Okay. And, you know, what both of y'all are saying, there will come a time, you know, I don't use uh, Google Assistant very much at all. Um, but after this ad campaign, I have to say, um, at some point, I will dive in a little deeper. And you're exactly right. When that moment takes place, if it is not ready for prime time or it gives me some garbage, like, you know, that time I tried to use Siri to simply dictate a few notes and it had no idea what I was asking for, it would have been easier just to get out a stone tablet and then write it and then dictate off of that than to try to use my phone for that and Siri. Um, you know, when that moment for prime time comes, you got to be ready. And you're right. Absolutely right. I think it's a very interesting point. Uh, are they overpromising, or is this something that they can deliver on? Sure. I think this is all starting to blur a little bit of voice in general, right? So voice is going to continue to be a more and more popular form of interaction with all of our devices across every medium. And then sort of the assistant nature and like the AI behind it is sort of a separate question, right? And sort of like, what what does that deliver well? So dictation versus sort of, you know, AI help with some task are two very different problems to try and solve. And for better or for worse, all of these companies are basically taking an approach where they're baking that entire experience together and making it one in the same, right? So when people talk about, you know, can Alexa suggest a good song to play? So whether Alexa as a voice interface works well is different than music personalization, which is like the whole reason Spotify and Pandora exist, right? So I think back to sort of whether or not we disappoint or delight users, there is the risk that we're running just from bundling all this stuff together from an expectation point of view. That's a fantastic point about uh, sort of conflating AI and voice UI. The the advantage Google may have, and I haven't seen them really 
uh, leverage it yet is their multimodality or their opportunity to to be greatly multimodal, not just voice, but touch interfaces and and GUI uh, graphical user interfaces. Because they have an OS on, and it's on a ton of phones, and that's always been a, a sort of a, a holy grail for Alexa, as it turns out, with the Echo Show and, and with the app trying to to combine these two worlds, uh, and. They're operating at a disadvantage at Amazon. They don't have an OS. They tried with Fire Phone. That did not work out. Um, and I'm, you know, to your point earlier, there's not a lot of talking in the ads, but I wonder if this leaves the door open enough that when we do inevitably give Google Assistant another go, it it takes things to the next level and uses voice as just one part of like a healthy sort of healthy, balanced breakfast of interactions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting to look at the ad where it was uh, Chrissy and John, where they're trying to find a show to watch. Like, how did Chromecast not play a role in that commercial? Yeah, right? that's a great like a question. That is a good question. And uh, that was the one I thought that was hilarious, by the way, that <laughs> where he was singing the song about how he feels like he's been they've been trying to change the channel for two hours. Uh, you know, we've all been there. You know, um, we're trying to experiment with technology and it's just like not working. Um, yeah. So all in all, great commentary. Appreciate that. Moving on to story number four. This is our voicebot.ai story of the week. Voicebot.ai is a very good news and commentary site on all things voice and AI. This week, we have a little bit of a different story. This is original research that they have produced and in Googling this and getting ready for this show, Brett Kinsella and all the folks uh, with VoiceBot.ai and all the folks that were involved with this study deserve um, a lot of praise because this thing went everywhere. Uh, this thing has been cited all over the place in all sorts of different media outlets. And Cheryl, I want to start with you. What did you take away from this? I don't really want to color it too much. I just want to get your thoughts uh, just right off the top. I, I've had a reaction as a speaker who's been looking for you know statistics to help convey the penetration of these devices in the U.S. market. But then I also had a reaction as a designer. So my, I, I this seems on track for me. So I wasn't super surprised by the number, especially because some numbers I had previously heard said about like one in ten U.S. households had one of these devices. And if you sort of extrapolate out, a lot of those are couples or or like roommate situations. Like, oh, okay, that's about. It's, it's about 20% of U.S. adults. It sounds like things are progressing along the same very good growth track we've been seeing. But, you know, one of the topics I like to speak about is about the risk of bias, especially in voice user interfaces, the way the data models are built and the way we sort of the speech science relies on the recording corpus that we have from customers, but these devices are really only going out to fairly affluent families at this point. And so I see the 20% number and I kind of, I wonder how long it would take to fill to, to bridge the gap. Like who are those 20% and are we at risk of sort of creating an, a feedback loop where these devices are only really good at recognizing the accents and dialects and speaking patterns of folks who have the money to spend on these these speakers. I'm going to be watching this number with interest uh, you know, over the next months and, and probably years afterwards, because if, if the number flattens and if it doesn't continue to grow, there's probably voices that are unheard. And I wonder what we as an industry can do to make sure that 
this technology, which can change lives regardless of your uh, income level, and in some cases disproportionately for folks who don't have access to other technology, how we can make sure it's more equitable and inclusive. Yeah, those are great points. And it also makes me think of, you know, Google Assistant being in a place much rolling out to different countries much faster in different languages if Google ultimately over time builds a much better set of you know training data uh, for that. So that's, yeah, it's a great point. Uh, looking at the study, you know, I, the two things that sort of jumped out at me were, you know, one, I think maybe even a year or two ago, there was a question about whether it was going to be a fad. And it kind of feels like we've moved past that point. And now there's sort of broad adoption of these platforms. And the two things that jump out at me, one, you know, as, as big and exciting as these platforms are, and they are exciting, it's also going to just shift user behavior, right? So, so back to some of the earlier points of if every day in my house, I'm now talking to a voice interface, when I get into my car, it feels weird to flip plastic switches to do stuff, right? When I sit down at my computer at work to have to know all these keyboard shortcuts to do stuff, like, I think that this will just become the big shift in human interaction overall, even outside of smart speakers and, and even outside of um, these platforms. You know, this is up there with, you know, the mouse and clicking and keyboards and, and tapping on your phone. Um, and then the other big thing was just the opportunity everybody has to, you know, companies and brands to really shift user behavior. When you look at some of the numbers around, like, how many people pay a bill with these kinds of platforms. Like, I don't know if that was any behavior that I would have thought jumped out in an early platform. And I don't know if it was anything people were just super eager to do. But, you know, when you look at a company like Capital One getting so early to these platforms, I think there's an opportunity to steer user behavior a little bit and, and introduce experiences that are super convenient and delightful uh, and change the the trajectory of how people will interact with these things and what they do with them. It's interesting. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned people. It, it's it's changing the fundamental way people fun- interact with devices, not just at home, but maybe at work. And work is a really Cortana's on a lot of devices right now, but you don't see the adoption in the workplace. There's still this like social barrier, and I wonder where the tipping point is where people will no longer feel sort of embarrassed to talk to devices in a public space like a workplace where where judgment might be a risk? Uh, Is it 20% of adults? Is it 50% of adults? Uh, What kind of of usage patterns will lead us to that secondary voice tipping point where it's not just a fun thing to do at home or I'm in my car in private, but something that I can genuinely accomplish around other people? Yeah, I wonder if there was that same social stigma like when phones first came on people's desks. Yeah. Like when, right. You were, you were all at work and then somebody got a phone and then, oh, I thought you were talking to me. Like you're talking to the device that was sitting in your desk. Right. Yeah, like definitely feels like I, we have all these devices around our desks. It definitely feels weird to everyone else in our workspace. Like when we talk to them, yes. yeah, like, like when, like when do we hit that jumping off point? We're like, yeah, that's, that's expected behavior. That's no longer weird. And I think, and this may be getting a little bit off topic, but I'm fascinated by like how the device interaction model might change because having worked at Amazon on Alexa, it's not very scalable to have an Echo on every desk. If a couple people forget to mute their devices, it is, 
it, it is a little overwhelming when you ask for the weather. But so what is the work, you know, as we see VoiceBot AI's story and, and the growing penetration of these of this interaction model, it's probably going to have to shift for more public spaces. It'll be interesting to see how these trends influence whatever that interaction model ends up being. And the word adults jumps out at me too, because we, you know, back to your cameo appearance from earlier this, uh, earlier this session from Benicio, uh, there's a generation of kids not represented by this data. And I think rightfully so, because we want to respect COPPA and we don't want to get a difficult line these devices are walking. But I wonder how many kids are being exposed to this and how that's going to change what they expect from the world. Oh, sure. And we, uh, yeah, and, and we had a very interesting discussion on last week's episode of This Week in Voice about really touching for the first time on this show about do we need to protect children from anything? Are we rushing sort of headfirst in there? And, uh, or, you know, is it better to just sort of let this tech cycle play out like they always do and not be too protective about things? I would invite anyone interested in that conversation to. Uh, go check that out. We actually did something rare. We excerpted that audio from that episode and slapped it on the page uh, for last week's episode on thisweekinvoice.com. So you can check it out there. Very interesting conversation. Cheryl, I, I want to touch on something that you said right off the start. It is something I think about from time to time, just with the show, you know, we've shot, we've shot up in adoption to where we are now, you know, 20% Adults have smart speakers. If you knew the median number of smart speakers in every house across the world, it'd probably be a shocking figure, you know, where, um, but you're touching on and you brought up the concept that it may not be a smooth path to 100%. Um, there may be economic limitations, um, social limitations. And so I, I guess I will ask a question do you believe that without any just on things on their natural path that every home will have voice technology in it in the near future um, and if you don't believe that then what in your mind do you think that what responsibility you know last week we talked about parental responsibility you know touched on that this is now we'll touch on responsibility of tech juggernauts what is the responsibility of tech juggernauts to make sure that this technology gets out there in the way that is most beneficial? Oh, what a great question. And, and so many, so many opportunities there. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of asking why, you know, why, why do we need hundred uh, percent penetration, but assuming that that's a good, a good metric to get to what benefit would it give the human beings on the other end of that top 20%? To, to have these devices in their lives? Uh, does, are there problems that they have that we're solving? Are there different problems they have that voice could solve? I suspect that's probably the case. Uh, we just don't know what we don't know. And it's, I, I think it is the responsibility of those who have privilege and, and uh, those of us in the tech industry, we all have it in some way or another. It's been harder one for some than others, but I think we all have this opportunity to say like, we don't necessarily understand how this technology could change people who are not like myself. I think as designers, it's very exciting because I think there's a, a great opportunity towards like participatory design, reaching out to folks who wouldn't naturally adopt these systems and saying, are there problems in your life 
uh, where you're dealing with extreme constraint or you don't feel comfortable using your computer or you feel cut off from the world because uh, the, the technology you have is intimidating. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. There's an interesting opportunity in, in India, I think, because there's, a, there's some literacy challenges for the general population that voice technology can solve. And maybe that's a place, an example of a problem that could help us get to the last sort of 20% of voice adoption. So I think that to, to go back to your original question, like what, what is the responsibility? Always be asking ourselves questions like how, how does this technology affect and potentially benefit folks who are not like us? How do we extend a hand across the gap uh, towards people who are not like ourselves? The secretive way, uh, nature in which these products were launched was sort of, you know, capitalism requires that, that first mover advantage, but it meant that all of the initial testing was essentially on internal employees. And they are, they share some very common experiences and it takes work to break ourselves out of that bubble. The good news is I think there are genuine benefits for folks dealing with disabilities, for folks dealing with the intimidation of working with a, a PC for the something that's just not just sort of alien to them. Um, but I think it we just have to keep extending that hand across. In general, I'm optimistic of what sort of voice interfaces will bring to other populations. You know, I, I, Wall Street Journal ran a great article about six months ago saying how the next billion users of the internet will be driven by voice and video, you know, pointing out literacy issues, I think is, and opening it up to other populations will be, you know, amazing and transformative. Um, you know, I am very encouraged to hear a principal designer at Microsoft who's asking these questions, who worked on the Alexa team, who asked these questions. Uh, I actually got intrigued by voice interfaces from looking at uh, senior care solutions. Like we were looking at, elder care and in-home monitoring for elderly populations and got excited about voice and then sort of stumbled on the problem of, of design and prototyping for it. Uh, our lead engineer, Cameron, uh, comes out of the world of accessibility. And so we talk a lot about things like, you know, the, the, the breakdown of multimodality, aside from user convenience, until there's a screen, people who have hearing issues can't really interact with voice platforms, right? So you're not getting any training data for the deaf accent and how the response would be a visual response, even though the you know, command would still come from voice, right? And so when you think of accessibility issues and where multimodality plays a role in how all that stuff will play out, I think, again, it, you know, to Cheryl's point, I think it's good that we have the right people sort of asking these questions and that companies, big and small, sort of, you know, are trying to be responsible and think about how we create technology that is inclusive and helpful to everyone. That's great. Yeah. And uh, this, will, I have no doubt, will be a thematic concept that comes up on the show regularly. I mean, it would be foolish to assume that it's just we're just going to go from 20 to 50 percent to 70 percent adoption, you know, all the way to 100. I mean, there's going to be um, a little bit more engineering that probably has to go into getting it to that level, um, a little bit more, uh, you know, intention that has to go into that. So that'll be interesting to watch as the market matures, um, how that plays out. I appreciate the commentary on that. We will roll on to story number five. Hey, Cortana is now Cortana. And this article talks about how Microsoft is testing Cortana and Alexa integration that we heard about last year internally for release in the near future. And Cheryl, I'm going to start with you on this. But before I do, I do want to say, so I'm a gamer. I believe you're a gamer as well. 
Uh, is anyone not a gamer who is into these days? Um, and uh, I, I own an Xbox One X, and uh, we we have a Thursday night gaming get together uh, that's lasted for about a decade now. A friend of mine was on, and who you know he did not interact with uh, Xbox Live in any other way, uh, primarily with Cortana. And he had his Kinect plugged up, and, he, and when I sent him a party invite, he said, Cortana, open that. And it opened it right on up, and I was like, well, my God, why am I not doing that? And so just to say, Cortana uh, was super functional in a way that I had no earthly idea I want to ask you, you know, sort of your thoughts on this story, but then sort of share with us whatever you may be able to about the state of Cortana right now and what you guys are working on. Well, uh, so I am also a gamer, so it, it, it's been tough for me to watch the the curve of the connect the, uh, in the in the marketplace because, gosh, I think that I was so in love with the connect and the way the voice control changed the way I dealt with the OS, um, but over the years we ran into sort of a branding and marketing problem, right? Like the Connect cost a bunch of extra money. And because the platform was perceived as a gaming platform, people weren't interested in the crazy benefits of the natural language interaction, which was very cutting edge at the time. Uh, so they didn't buy the device. So we didn't hit critical mass. So now it's essentially been deprecated functionality, which is such a shame because as you point out, there are some real benefits to using natural language to control the Xbox. And that's, we, uh, we don't do a lot of Xbox gaming in our house. Hold. We do sometimes, but I tend to be more of a, a Switch and Steam gamer. But the benefits of using Cortana on my Xbox One, fabulous. I, I, I've loved it for a long time. And the funny thing about it is, of course, also that it's the simplest tasks that are the biggest benefit. Just being able to bark out, you know, Xbox pause or, or Cortana pause, uh, I think is was worth the price for us. But, and I can't speak directly to Cortana's roadmap since I'm not on the team, but I can say sort of my observations as a fellow, fellow customer. I think Cortana, when I was on the team back in, you know, back in the middle part of the decade, there was all this optimism, especially around the multimodal phone to PC story. Uh, at the time we were just working on what you now see in Windows 10, the Cortana assistant. But Windows Phone, as we all know, uh, has has died as a platform, and it, it really changes the fundamental model for Cortana. And I think the, that Microsoft in general is still figuring out what that next step is. I, I think there, if you notice the the sort of shape of the affordance of the Cortana menus in Windows 10, it's essentially a mobile screen on your desktop. And now that the mobile phone is no longer part of this continuum. It's it's an opportunity, I think, I suspect, for us to question the some of the architectural decisions that were made. Is there a better way to integrate Cortana more seamlessly into into this experience? And it's I, I just as a, a speech nerd, this is interesting to me. The change from "Hey Cortana" to Cortana, because the word Cortana is three syllables. It's reasonably unique, reasonably unique. And so I, I I always wondered why you had to have "Hey" in front of it. Like I felt like Cortana was good enough as a wake word. Thought it was very clever that they had chosen a character that had reasonably acoustically unique name. So I'm just glad to see them shortening that because. It seems like such a minor thing, dropping one syllable, but it makes a big difference. My family actually changed it back to Xbox as the, the wake word on our Xbox One because the Hey Cortana felt too unwieldy. So 
I will give it a change back when, when this change goes live. Back, back to the comment about kids before my four-year-old would be super excited to say Cortana instead of Alexa with a hard L, which has been Alexa for at least a year and a half now. So I think, you know, as a, as a invocation name, it's a great name. And I think that what, you know, I am bullish on Cortana as a platform. You know, I think there feels like a lot of catching up to do here, but I think you know, the sort of cognitive services that power Cortana are, you know, top in the industry. Uh, I have been a cord cutter for almost 10 years. I haven't had cable in 10 years and my Xbox is my primary media center. And I've never used Cortana because I don't have a connect and I don't put on a headset to talk to it, you know, and it feels like one minor difference of like having put a mic in the front of it could have changed everything in the way that Cortana could have been the voice controlled media center, you know, back to the ad with, you know, John legend, that could have easily been him talking to an Xbox to bring up a, a show to watch the Cortana, the shift over, I think is the right shift over. I think it's better from a brand perspective. If I was at Microsoft, I would have a lot of concerns about the stuff that's going on with Amazon and Cortana, you know, as a user, I can't wait to be able to use my, Alexa device to control my Xbox through Cortana, but I, you know there is a bad relationship that <laughs> Amazon has had with plenty of partners over the last twenty years, and so things like you know seeding the home to Amazon, you know to see at CES Alexa coming into Windows Ten machines, you know I that's it's something that would definitely worry me, but I think overall I'm I'm pretty bullish that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for that platform. And I think changing the name is a, is a great start to it. You bring up a great point about, about the partnership between the two companies. I was really excited as a tech nerd to see that the two companies had come to sort of an agreement because I think it's a great model for Silicon Valley and good for customers. But the move to uh, the announcement that Alexa might be coming to desktops, that seems that seems high risk in both directions. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think Having worked on uh, Alexa, the the amount it's hard to understate the amount of work that goes into making smart home stuff work seamlessly. So I, I feel like Microsoft's making up pretty well in that arrangement. Like, look, Alexa, you guys just you handle that set of things, and we'll handle the productivity stuff because we know we're good at it. I'm hoping that is at the core of the partnership. Both companies get a little benefit, and customers get to do everything they want whenever they want. But that desktop piece is is interesting. We know uh, Amazon has tried to sort of create an OS before and it failed. Will they try again? Will they try to sort of exist on Windows? But Microsoft is also invested in having people use Windows. So if having Alexa on Windows differentiates it from the Mac, that might be enough of an, a win for them to keep going. Yeah, I agree on the on the smart home point now, right? But it feels like the you know there's 30 to 40, we're, we're talking about how many smart speakers are out there there are like 30 to 40 million Xboxes out there, right? Like there could have definitely been, uh, that whole track could have played out in a different way. Oh, and, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I also think that Microsoft being under new leadership and changing to a more open ecosystem are like all the right moves. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see the way all these platforms both compete and play together over time. But I will always mourn the loss of the Kinect. <laughs> Uh, I better be careful with how I describe the Connect. Uh, yeah, the Connect has been uh, has had a uh, uh, a path that uh, it shouldn't have gone on. It, 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 here's what it is: it's just it's just something that was ahead of its time, right? Yes. 
when it, when it came out, it was just ahead of its time. And like so many things that are ahead of their time, uh, it became, first, it, it was not used. And then second, it became an object of ridicule when it should not have been an object of ridicule. And now, uh, you know, here we are back with voice uh, hardware being acceptable to have in your home and it not being an omnipresent security slash privacy violation, you know, in your mind. And, uh, you know, so the timing would have been much better now, but it's just sort of how things like that play out. And Cheryl, I will say, I can't wait until I can ask Cortana, why am I dying so much in Overwatch? (laughs) (laughs) Please make it stop. (laughs) You be careful what you wish for. She'll turn the console off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or yeah, or if I ask Cortana, how should I improve my gameplay uh, in Overwatch? And if it just shuts the console off, uh, that may not be a message I'm, I'm ready to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but if, when we talk about personality and, and these assistants, and you, you look at a device like the, the Xbox, where we know it's not like critical path productivity, that's where some interesting opportunities light up. And maybe Microsoft could play. This is the, an interesting scenario we're discussing. If someone engages Cortana in the middle of a game, then she's perceived as a game pers- personality. Is there room? Does she take over your control for a little bit? You could, you could play with that if you wanted to do a fun little design charrette, like how how something like that would go on a completely more lighthearted note than, than the death of groundbreaking hardware. <laughs> it's just crazy to look at, you know, the, the lesson from the connect also is the thing we're all mourning was like the death of the microphone, right? There was like this intense piece of hardware that did all this gesture control. And it turns out that like the microphone sitting in it was this wildly valuable piece of that experience that could have probably also been delivered through a different piece of hardware much more effectively. Right. So I I think it totally was ahead of its time. And I think that, you know, from any product design perspective, always thinking about like, like what is the thing we're trying to accomplish? How ambitious is what we're doing here? Right. Are there better ways to deliver other things? Right. I think even Sonos is now going through a lot, figuring out how to integrate voice into their interfaces and their, and their hardware and their hardware has had a mic sitting in there for a while, even though it, it sort of wasn't used. Right. So I think from a, a software perspective, there's a lot to figure out here from the hardware perspective, you are definitely now challenged to think about two years from now, it's going to be a even different voice first world. And so like, what does your hardware do to get ahead of that? Because just development cycles and product cycles are much longer. Right. Well, I think, yeah, sure. And I think there's parallels, um, from the connect back to our discussion about the Google marketing campaign, uh, you better tread lightly, you know, lest you over promise something that you can't deliver. And, you know, the, the morning of the connect was the, in my mind, the morning of the promise of what that device was going to bring, which was just not ready. And, uh, you know, and it was society that wasn't really ready for it. And the technology wasn't, uh, totally ready either. So, you know, I, I think Google would be wise to pay attention to that. I see a lot of parallels there. We will move on briefly to our last story of the week, which is an interesting one. Being here in Nashville, we know Blake Shelton very well. He is a famous country artist. You might have seen him on The Voice if you watch that show. Blake Shelton has his own Alexa alarm tones. And I just want to ask the two of you quickly, and Mark, I'll start with you. Uh, there's a marketing narrative, you know, that you could extract from this story. There's a personalization 
sort of story you could get out of this. What did you, what do you think when you read this? The main thing that jumps out at me is just how early this all feels like it's, it's fun and it's whimsical. Uh, it feels like, remember when cell phone ringtones were like a billion dollar industry and then that changed pretty quickly. It sort of feels like that. It feels like this is going to be some weird moment in time that at some point we look back on and be like, remember when country artists were making like the voices that you could wake up to the alarm, right? Like Snoop Dogg has like a ways voice that you can get directions from Snoop Dogg. It feels like fun ways to, you know, extend your brand as a celebrity to show up in a couple of news cycles. I don't think it fundamentally impacts anything uh, with the way we interact with these things except for the idea of we move into a world where we have dynamically generated celebrity voices, right? And so, especially when you look at Google, Google with Google Assistant has taken this operator model where every time you connect to a third party, it's delivered in a different voice. Uh, it's not hard to see how all of those voices would be celebrity voices, right? So when I talk to Ford through Google Assistant, I hear Mike Rowe, right? So I think it, there's like a, a little inkling, a, a little hint of what celebrity and voice personality could mean for voice interfaces overall in this news story, but sort of where we are and, and the idea of like having these custom alarms, I think is just like a, a fun little moment in time that exists really early and then sort of just goes away. I'm glad you brought up the multiple voices thing, Mark. I, it's interesting if you unpack the experience of an alarm, it's one of the least uh, delightful parts of interacting with one of these voice assistants. You are being roused from slumber, probably going to be cranky. And, you know, when you talk about, I, I, I think it's really interesting that Google Assistant's using that third-party voice model. And I think part of that's to protect their brand. And in a way, you could kind of look at this as a way to sort of protect Alexa in a little, a little bit too. Like, why associate Alexa, who we're supposed to welcome into the family, with the horrible moment of waking up in the morning? When there are celebrities, they're perfectly happy to lend their voices to that experience and soften that transition a little bit. Uh, but certainly, I agree that it's... Uh, it, whimsical's a good word for it. It's not game-changing. But... Uh, you also see Alexa making some interesting plays, going back to the point about the celebrities and the distance from the sort of common consumer. Um, this feels more like reaching the hand across to maybe some markets that weren't thinking about Alexa before, uh, to, you know, who aren't maybe passionate Amazon customers and getting them to think about things in a different way. You see this a little bit with the Echo Look that we released too. Like the, our target is our sort of, ideal customer we weren't leading with alexa we were leading with their passion about fashion and that mean might mean they're not your typical tech early adopter so i think this sort of thing is a really valuable way to start trying to extend a hand and get folks interested in this technology that might not have considered it before or thought it was just you know a silicon valley fad or something like that uh, so i'm i'm glad it exists uh, in that respect, because hopefully it'll bring more interesting customers to the table with new requests and new stories. Um, I'm still waiting for a Pikachu voice. So if somebody will do that, that'll make my life great. Nice. Uh, but uh, there is that personal expression piece too. It's a lot of folks ask to customize the voice. Tom, Tom set up that example. You mentioned the Snoop Dogg uh, voices. This is probably as close we'll come for a long time, but 
the desire for self-expression in consumers is very much there. They expect it. We see it in games all the time, creating your protagonist as opposed to taking something that the developers built. Um, and this, if this allows a little bit more of that self-expression, hopefully it'll increase engagement and make that morning moment a little bit, bit less dreadful. I love the idea of voice assistants outsourcing the dirty work. Except when it's a horrible task and then we'll, we'll let Blake Shelton do it. That's great. It's going to be good cop, bad cop. It's like, let me go talk to my manager. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. It's interesting. Uh, you know, Mark, you sort of glossed over like the ringtones, you know, but yeah, ringtones are still a, a large market. And, when I when I look at this story, my impression is the first thing that runs across my mind is, you know, I, I sort of view this a little bit differently. I think there is about to be huge, huge money for people with any sort of celebrity status or people whose voice is somehow interesting or desirable. Like I think about the the micro machines guy. You know, you do you remember that? You know, we're all old enough to remember that oh, guy. Oh yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, people who are interested, you know, different voices, um, you know, if I could pay, I always, uh, I always think like this, if I could pay, um, you know, 99 cents for a ringtone. Sure. Yeah. I'll pay that, uh, song I like or something interesting. I'll pay that. That's fine. The market's sort of established. What would I pay for, um, you know, uh, I like Blake Shelton just fine, but you know, I wouldn't do this, but let's say that I am a Blake Shelton super fan. Uh, and I want his voice to, to take over Alexa, not just Alexa alarm tones. Um, you know, maybe I might pay, you know, 99 cents for that. Maybe or if it's somebody I like or something just for the alarm tones. But what about taking over the whole freaking thing? And uh, the voice is now different. You know, I can have a Blake Shelton skin for my Alexa, you know, and it's Blake Shelton's voice for everything. Um, and with some comedic nuances in there or some different, you know, personality injected. What would I pay for that? I, I don't know, a couple of bucks. Um, and, uh, you know, what an easy way to just for celebrities to grab even more money and uh, also an easy way for IP attorneys. That's another thing that ran across my mind. Think about the policing that's going to have to go into policing the internet on uh, people's voices being used in appropriate fashions versus inappropriate and unauthorized ways. I, it's a brave new world. That's, uh, that's what I got out of this, which is sort of taking it a step further. I mean, I think there's interesting things we'll continue to see come out around celebrity on that stuff. But I actually, I, something I could rant about for hours, I actually think the personification of voice interfaces starts to go away. So there's a design principle called skeuomorphism where you make some digital interface look like the real world equivalent of it. When we all first got the iPhone, you know, the YouTube app looked like a little TV, the notes looked like a little yellow legal pad. And then that starts to go away. I think the idea of like us interacting with these things as people goes away over time. I think this is like an early medium and how we're all getting used to it. You know, when we talk about saying like, you say thank you to Alexa, I think there's a, pretty close point in time where we look back at how ridiculous that is. And so I actually think that overall we're going to, you know, there'll be a place for, for personification, whether celebrity or not. But I think the majority of your voice driven experience will not feel like talking to a person one way or the other. And to go back to the accessibility side of things, when you, it's interesting when you look at somebody 
who uses like a speech reader on uh, like a desktop, they'll listen to it at like hundreds of words a minute in a way that feels like a blur to somebody who doesn't do that every day. And I think voice interfaces become much more efficient versus much more personified. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I do some voice acting in my free time and thinking about what you just talked about, moving from Blake Shelton doing alarms to Blake Shelton doing the entirety of the Alexa experience. Most of, uh, pretty much almost all of Alexa's speeches is dynamically generated in real time. And so to, uh, I've started thinking down that path and like, oh, Blake would have to record enough that they can do synthetic generation of his voice. And then you've suddenly given up a piece of your identity to a company because our voice is a part of us. Uh, so I, I just, I, there's not enough time to talk, unpack that thought in this discussion, but I think we will find that there's this tension, like there's how much are we willing to give up as, as contributors, as creative contributors, Blake or a voice actor to a company to control synthetically and potentially any arbitrary output they want to do in your voice, they can. Uh, it's there's some ethical quandaries there, and some and you know we've there's some other news articles about this synthesizing famous people's voices, and it's it, yeah it gets tricky because in many cases we hear someone speak and we believe it is their truth because they it's in their voice. Uh, so uh, it's there's a lot there. I don't know as I'd want to see uh, replacing Alexa's voice with celebrities because I feel like they, that could be manipulated very easily. But I agree that. Not all voice assistants will be heavily personified, just as Mark uh, Mark was saying earlier. There's a time and a place for it. And in some cases, I think the Google Assistant model makes a lot of sense, something less personable. And we can look for cues from a customer that they're interested in banter or interested in connecting on a more human level as opposed to just turning on the lights. A lot of interesting things to think about. Yeah, a great commentary and... Um... You know, I, I could see it working like ringtone. You know, ringtone, you get tired of it. You know, for me, after a short amount of time, you're on to the next one. I, yeah, I think personification would be very, like, opportunistic, very situational. <clears throat> you know, um, I don't think if you're listening to Blake Shelton's voice or anybody's voice the whole time, you'd probably get tired of that uh, and say, you know, it'd probably have a negative effect uh, after a while. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I appreciate y'all entertaining that uh that story here at the end cheryl and mark great to have you on the show thank you very very much for being so generous with your time and your insight thank you very much for having us this is a very enjoyable conversation thank you mark and thank you for bringing us together bradley yeah thank you this is a lot of fun for this week in voice season two episode seven thank you for listening and until next time